I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm speaking with Marcus Kohler, director and founder of MKA Ecology, which actually celebrated its 21st anniversary in March of last year, curating a wildlife art exhibition just before we went into a national lockdown. MKA Ecology works in many areas from large-scale restoration and rewilding projects to working with local councils on their site management. Their main work is at the interface of development and sustainability, undertaking a range of projects and always under the mantra that every site matters. Marcus has personally worked extensively in ecotourism and has led wildlife tours across four continents with specialisms in Southeast Asia and Madagascar, having led 14 tours to the latter. He has worked in consultancy since 1987, originally on short contracts interspersed with traveling, was a founder member of Saim and left his company for three years to become global flyways officer for BirdLife International, where he managed the UNDP Migratory Soaring Birds Project and helped develop wildlife best practice mitigation guidance for developers of renewable energy, tourism and waste management in the Middle East and North East Africa. MKA believe that all their consultants need to develop to be truly multidisciplined and they have a great track record in developing young talent. They have a strong team ethos and mentoring to enable their team to develop their skills in a range of taxonomic groups. So Marcus, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Thank you very much. Great to have you here. Now, um, before we explore some of the sort of great insights into you and your wonderful company, I'd like to start the show, if I may, with a couple of seemingly innocent quickfire questions to see what sort of person you really are. Now, they're really deep, meaningful questions that I'm sure Myers-Briggs <laughs> and other serious introspective personality tests will surely be asking their interviewees. So armed with very little preparation time, are you ready? Yeah, as, as I will be. <laughs> Don't worry, not too bad. Okay, first of all, plants or animals? Animals. Okay, birds or mammals? Oh. <laughs> mammals was first love. Mammals was first love. But being brought up in London, I didn't see any mammals, so I got into birds. Okay, so which one is it you're going to fall down to? I get more excited if I see a new mammal than if I've seen a new bird. So okay. I'd say mammals. We'll go with mammals then. Okay. But everyone knows me as a birder. <laughs> we'll get onto that in a second then. Okay. Uh, books or films? Oh, I'm in a book club and I love films. Grew up on films, loved the old black and whites films. Films then, okay. Of both again, sorry. I know, <laughs> I've got to ask you to get with your first answer. Um, if you had to choose to undertake one type of ecological survey for the rest of your natural life, what would you do? Well, if it was in the UK, I'd say a massive badger survey because I love doing badger surveys uh, at the right time of year. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd say... Uh, pioneering work, uh, working in rainforests uh, with a team and uh, 
and somewhere where I can get out and find some life sometimes because I, <laughs> I can't. It's what I want to be and what I am. Yeah. I aspire to be this magical pioneer and really I, I do like my, my days off as well. Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you for that. Uh, employer or employee? That's good. Uh, that's a really good question. Um, there's a lot to be said for being an employer and it's it's lovely to see people and work with people, but there's always, by definition, there's always a, um, a gap and, you know, and so forth. And when I was an employee for BirdLife, it was so nice to have colleagues and everything and not have that issue of, of being being the boss yeah. so i'd say employee employee yeah. yeah okay and the final question you'll be pleased to hear okay pfizer astrazeneca or no thanks i'm fine as i am <laughs> i'm joking you don't need to answer that at all. <laughs> I, i've had a pfizer you have, have you? <laughs> uh, uh, which my friend is very upset about in my book club because he actually works for astrazeneca so he's very upset with me okay okay it wasn't wasn't a choice <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks for that. I'm sure we've all got a great insight into uh, into your mind now. So uh, we're analysing those results. I'll get them back to you in a week's time. Yeah, great. Great questions, Richard. <laughs> OK, um, so, I mean, let, let's go back to sort of your, your bio that you actually sent to me, your biography there. Um, now, first of all, congratulations. 21 years, 21st anniversary. Yeah, that's a remarkable achievement. Congratulations on that. And held it in a wildlife ox exhibition. What, what, what was that about? Well, we commissioned it actually. Uh, um, uh, we because I've worked a lot at, at bird fair and so forth. And I know a lot of the wildlife artists and have enormous respect for what they can they can do. And and uh, uh, Nick Pollard, who designed our logo, we, we asked him to bring a group together and uh, a company that I've done tours for Ace Ace Cultural Tours. They've got a fantastic. Uh, um, uh, offices and, uh, 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 and exhibition hall and we held it there and it was lovely because I brought in you know old clients new you know modern clients friends and also people I've worked in, in conservation with and so forth and it was a lovely evening it was just on the cusp of lockdown I mean literally they announced it that night so I lost a few on the evening but it was the last time we were all together and it, it was a lovely evening I, you know, I had to stand up and give a speech and everything and all that which you know, some of it comes actually to it. Was, but it was great. It was just so nice. And and also just being surrounded by wildlife art. And, you know, what I think is really important is these connections. You know, the what the artists have a completely way of looking at, uh, at the world to us. And But they're still, you know, they are trying to bring alive, you know, natural history and so forth in such an amazing way. Yeah. And to have people, you know... Uh, looking at that and talking about biodiversity net gain and talk about the, the importance of consultancy and bring connectivity across these, these different uh, uh, groups and so forth, I think is so important. So it was a lovely evening and uh, it was just such a shame because the artists, immediately after it was lockdown, so the exhibition didn't get the number of people it would have done otherwise, which was such a shame for those fantastic artists who obviously had a really tough year. Oh, dear. yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I say a lot of people have had tough, you know, year, but particularly, you know, I think in the, in the creative industries. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've been able to carry on a bit, haven't we, really? But um, 
Uh, so, I mean, do you, I mean, do you double yourself in art at all? You know, do you uh, paint? No, or no very much at the layman level. Um, you know, I, you'd struggle to get me around the Tate. I mean, it has happened, but you know, I'm not, I don't, but I do love wildlife art and I do, I do have enormous respect for the different ways people will interpret it both, you know, at a very accurate level, but I quite like the more surreal level as well. And, and, and how that can capture movement and capture something without it being immediately identifiable. And I, I think it's fascinating. And yeah, just uh, an afternoon in the, at Rutland, at, Rutland uh, at the British Birdwatching Fair in the arts uh, hall is just fantastic. Have you got any particular favourite artists or, uh, you know, at all? Uh, I love Mick Pollard. Um, he's probably uh, probably my favourite artist, but uh, there's so many, really, uh, and I'm struggling to remember their names. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> Have you got any of um, um, uh, uh, Nick Pollard's um, sort of... Um, paintings yourself in well. oh yes we've got we've got a few hmm. i mean we've worked with nick for well really since we started so we've known nick for many years and he's become a friend and i used to run um at the birth i used to run the conservation cup which was the only only um only football tournament to be held on an sssi and and the artists used to always put in a football team so i got to know all the artists through through then and so i, I know a group of them and you know they range from something like Ian Lewington, who's very precise, but amazing bird artist, you know, and then somebody like Nick, who's really captures the ethos and the, the essence of, of, of a wild, of wildlife and so forth. Very different, but I respect them all for their different, I mean, obviously some you, you don't like so much, but I respect them all for their different qualities, really. Right. I know we didn't say we said we wouldn't talk about football, but um, what, <laughs> what team do you support or, yeah. Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a Crystal Palace boy. I'm a South London boy, so Crystal Palace is my team. And uh, I spent a lot of the last 10 years, sort of, I set up a, a grassroots football club and I've coached all the way through to under-18 level. So that's also been a, a part of my life as well. Great. Have you got to go to many games at all when you can? Work? Yeah, season ticket holder. And uh, uh, I also go to the England games as well. So I'm, I'm quite... Uh, uh, I'm quite keen on that, although I've just lost all, all my tickets because they've just given them all back because of uh, COVID uh, for the Euros, but I had tickets to the final with that. But uh, never mind. Never mind. There's all yeah. next year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Great. Okay. Well, um, uh, let's discuss your journey then. So how did you get into sort of um, ecology or wildlife conservation? You know, we're going back to, as you say, um, 1987. But tell me a little bit more about yourself, Marcus, in terms of um, where you're from and how you, I say, had that journey into ecology. I mean, my journey into ecology was, was a bit of a rough ride, as I think it was for most people of my generation. Um, I, um, you say that? I, I, I undertook a... Um, I was a bit lost after my A-levels. I, I, I was, um, I always had this love of wildlife. When I had job interviews, they said, be a zookeeper, which was actually very good advice because I would have loved to be a zookeeper. Um, but, you know, it was so marginalised, you know, going back to that time, consultancy didn't exist. Yeah. You know, the Wildlife Consultant came in in 1981. So by the time I graduated, there were so few jobs um, and you used to get the Guardian on a Wednesday and you'd look and I'd be a job for a warden at, at no money at all. And 
they used to say you get 300 people applying for each job. And it was, it was hopeless. It was impossible. Um, I, my degree was in environmental studies at what was then Sheffield Polytechnic. Um, I spent a year working for the, um, uh, for the student union as vice president. And that was, that was great. And I loved that course because it was wide ranging. I got involved while I was in South Yorkshire with the Badger Group. I got involved with the birds. I got involved with the country park. And I, you know, started to develop my field skills. I'm not second generation bird watcher. I'm a first generation bird watcher. My, my parents are all armchair naturalists. So I had to learn, I had to teach myself which is, you know, it makes a difference. So, I mean, in terms of obviously going to, you know, you say Sheffield Poly there, um, you know, it's not just about going there. You also became you know, vice president as well. So how, how did that come about? So did you put yourself forward or were you nominated yourself? Uh, I, 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 I'm quite, I mean, it, always with me, it's, it, it's um, you know, I, I never plan things really, it just happened. I, I, um, I got quite involved because they were going to close our, our site and I went there because I went to Sheffield because it was it was Wentworth Woodhouse which is the largest stately home in Europe and um, I was delighted to be there it was, it was only us and the sports people and of course I loved the sports people as well so I was playing lots of sport with all the sports studies and I was going for walks on these grounds and it was great for wildlife and then they said they're closing it so I I rallied the troops now in reality a lot of people, a lot of students didn't want to be there because they wanted to be in Sheffield having a good time, <laughs> which I get. But, you know, it was a wonderful opportunity to be to live in a stately home. Yeah. And so I became president of that site. And I actually, you know, the largest frontage in Europe, uh, one of the most famous haunted houses. I spent the summer in there on my own going from the student union building, one end of the building, up the haunted stairs to my room, which overlooked the marble saloons overlooked the pillars of the building and just it was just wonderful yeah and uh, um you know it's a real opportunity and indeed they did close that eventually and Wentworth is still the subject of of, of uh, now I believe they're, they're looking at some kind of rewilding for the area but I'm not you know so it, it was a it was a wonderful opportunity and because I got involved in that and you very soon realize that a lot of people don't get involved um it went and it went very well because because I could relate to both the sports studies people and and the people on, on environmental studies and geography. Uh, you know, I set up lots of lots of interhouse tournaments and things like that, and, and set out things that people wanted and gave them something tangible that a vice president was going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was great. And what what year was what's um, the years did you start and end uh, finish there? So I started in 82, I finished in 87, I think, 86. 86, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, you know, it was it in 87, then you did set up MKA Ecology or what? No, no, no. I, I was lost. I, 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 um, I offered my services to what was then International Council for Bird Preservation. Yeah. Um, and they sent me off to Spain for three months on expenses to live in this farm in Spain. And I did a bird survey there with somebody, uh, a chap called Pete Heyman, who was uh, a far more accomplished uh, uh, field person than me. And 
I had to learn a huge amount. But what I did, what I could do, what my strength was, I was uh, reporting everything and putting all that to it. Pete's strength was fantastic field skills. So it kind of worked together. I mean, I'm sure Pete could have done with a bit more help at times, but but what I did do was consolidate what I learned. And then I worked again for them. I, I went off to Thailand. Uh, I started to get, I was getting work in between with Atkins. Atkins didn't have an ecological consultancy then. They were in Epsom. And I was doing, uh, I was doing um, uh, traffic surveys. I was organizing traffic surveys. And that was great fun. It was, you know, again, it's that team thing. I used to take a Frisbee with us and we go in the field and have a game of Frisbee in between. And, you know, just got a team ethos going. And, um, uh, but their consultancy interviewed me and decided I was too, um, too conservation minded to be a, a consultant, uh, which wasn't true, but it, it was an interesting dynamic. I could see where they were coming from at the same time. Yeah. I then went off to Thailand and worked on my own. I lived in a bamboo hut, hut for three months, studying a newly studied, newly discovered bird called, well, rediscovered bird called Gurnis pitta in, in Thailand. So, where, so where does this come from in terms of you know your uh, you know obviously you're, you're moving from um, is it South London you say is it yeah 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 moving from South London up to Sheffield, um, so you know the, the big that's a big you know, anyone who's moving home or leaving home for the first time, that's a big sort of um, uh, undertaking. And then going across to Thailand and other places as well. So where, I mean, do, do you have it? I mean, where does this passion come from? So, you know, what sort of um, attribute do you have for that, really? I think it was because really my, you know, my, my dad worked very hard indeed. And and my mum my didn't drive. So I was very isolated in my in my suburban London, and I never got. To, I used to look at Book of British Birds and think, I'll never see a bittern. I'll never, I'll never see this. I'll never see that. And I was, and um, and I used to love. So I, you know, I, I had, there was this. People of my generation will remember it. There was Shell Garage, three um, D sticker book that had things like eye eye and proboscis horse in, and I thought, I'm desperate to see an eye eye. And I, now I have seen an eye, and and so it was this thing that I, I, all these things that were out there, and the thought of seeing them was just so exciting. And I had the advantage when I went to college, I was a bit older, which which made it easier for me. I, I took a year out, um, and I worked on a few RCBB reserves around the around the country, which was great. Uh, dipping into the best reserves again, giving me a bit more experience, a bit more understanding. Still very naive but still gave me, you know, a bit of, yeah. yeah. And I, I, and I, you know, I think the one thing I'd, me, I'm never happier than when I'm traveling. Travel travel is the best thing. And that can be hitch. You know, I used to hitchhike all across Europe and hitchhiking to me is is the ultimate way to travel. (laughs) A lot of freedom. Is that, yeah. Yeah. It's that freedom. Yeah. Nothing can beat it. Yeah. Now going back to that, uh, I think, you know, the shell books as well. I think I, 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 I used to have the um, Brooke Bond, as it was then. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The you know PG Tips sort of sticker albums there, Seven Wonders of the World and all that. Yeah, yeah. Very inspirational, as you say. You grew up in a. I mean, I grew up in a rural location rather than an uh, urban location, but um, yeah, it's, it's it's still thinking. Oh, I'm never going to see the, you know the, the pyramids of Egypt. Exactly. 
exactly. I, I think, you know, with my children, you know, I've, I've taken them to all these places. And of course, I've almost filled something or given them too much. <laughs> but they disagree. <laughs> so uh, okay so let's let's skip forward a few years then so you know you've you've come you've come back uh, so in the in between years then between you coming back from i think it was thailand yeah yeah um uh, to to um yeah to, to setting up mk ecology so what, what was that journey like then and how did you get into it and how did it come about well a person who's become a, a very close friend of mine, Phil Edwards, who was actually uh, very involved in SIAM at one stage himself, he employed me for what was then called environmental management consultants. And, and Phil uh, would admit he's, he's, he's an eclectic individual, but he's very honest. And he used to, you know, he was quite a, he was quite, he'd tell you things that how they were and you, you'd, and but he was very good, and he'd explain what you do did right and what you did wrong. And I I worked for him on temporary contracts first of all. Eventually got a full time job with him, um, and that was that was going fine. And then I got asked to join a company. Phil left, and it was getting it got taken over by an engineering company, and it was going a bit pear shaped. And then I got asked to join a company in Oxford, and. Uh, which was Cobham Resource Consultants then. And that was very nice, very nice people. But I just, I was working very hard and I, and I, I wasn't sure of myself at all. And I just thought, uh, interspersed in this time, I'd spent some time traveling yeah. and I met somebody else. I'd met somebody, I traveled a lot on my own. I'd met somebody who, my wife, and we decided to go traveling again. So I then left there and went traveling. Uh, for another year, which probably the third or fourth year of traveling that I'd done. And um, uh, and whilst I was there, I then got invited to work for David Hill at Ecoscope Cons Consultants. Where were so, they? Where was he based? He was based in Cambridge, which brought me back. When we came back from traveling, we came to Cambridge, which has now become my home. Yeah. And I worked with David for a year, uh, which was great in many ways. Um, but I was also, I was clocking up 45,000 miles on my car. Right. And I said, you know, I didn't, this isn't why, why I do ecology. Yeah. Um, I don't like driving, really. I don't like driving. Lost. I like being, being driven, but I don't like driving. Uh, and I just thought this isn't, you know, from what I can earn here, I could, I, I'm earning, I could do another job. So I left and went freelance. Yeah. And from there, that's where I built MKA up. Okay, so in your in those years, then that you were, you know, you're building up that, um, you know, your network, should we say, um, and building up your skill set. I mean, what, yeah, was there a defining moment then that you thought, actually, now, now I can, you know, I'm going to go freelance, so I'm going to make, like, I've got enough confidence because you sound like a very confident person. Um, uh, so, you know, was there a particular trigger point, or was it just something that you had in your back of your mind for a while? Um. No, it, it, I think it's always, I mean, I, I think it's a very difficult decision to make to go freelance. I had the security that my wife at that time, well, still my wife, uh, but at that time she was a, she was a lawyer. So it was, it, was not, it was not a difficult decision for me to go freelance because I had, I, had, I mean, we weren't rich, but we had financial security. So it was very it's a very easy decision. So they're not like many people, these braver entrepreneurs who just go out on their own. I couldn't do that. Yeah. 
And it wasn't a case of uh, burning your bridges and just getting on. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It was like, and and the first project that I worked on with David uh, as a freelancer, I'm still working on now. Uh, uh, so, so um, uh, and that's a site in South London that's that's had a very challenging and very interesting history. Um, but I've been monitoring it since 1998. Incredible. Yeah. What sort of species or, or um, yeah, you've been monitoring there? Well, it's very interesting for bird species. It had a range of target species, some of which we've lost, and a huge restoration and aspirational restoration plan, which I didn't draw up, but has been quite challenging to deliver. It is an amazing site for South London. One day we'll probably be uh, up there with the London's Wetlands Centre as, as the best site in London for, for birds. But there's still this transition all going on for a range of reasons, which I won't go into. But it just, to me, it encapsulates all the frustrations and potential of consultancy and still does. Okay. Um, but it's taken too long. It should be there now. But therein lies a long story that we haven't got time for. No, maybe next time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. So, um, okay, so you've gone freelance now, you know, you're getting, um, you know, so in terms of those business skills then, so were you fully, did you go in with it open-eyed in terms of, okay, well, I know my ecological, you know, I know my survey skills and on how to write a report and that, but, um, you know, we know how to do the business, do, do the actual, the job itself that's required, but, the overarching, overarching sort of business skill, administration, finance, marketing yourselves. How did you find that? Well, I I certainly was confident in my field skills by that time. You know, I'd worked, I'd done a variety of work, a lot of big bird surveys. I'd done, I'd done Channel Tunnel Rail Link and and various other surveys. And a lot of badger work was really interesting badger work. And, and what I did when I was working for other people, I, I used to hunt down the training courses and go on every training course. So I had Penny, Penny Loons teach me how to, how to survey for badgers. I had David Loons teach me how to build an artificial set. It's that kind of thing. And I was going on uh, polecat courses. Any course that I could get on, I would get on because I just, I suppose it was that thirst for knowledge, which, which, which was great for me. Um, it kept me going and that's what I love about this job is that you're always learning so I had my field skills were good obviously my business skills were like everyone else's were were very few and far between but I kind of got there I was always a January person getting my tax in yeah um, but you know I, I got there in the end but when you're building a business there's certain hurdles you uh, there was a time when it suited me because I, I had my we had our first child Stan and uh, I decided to work a three-day week and, and look after him for two days, which of all the decisions I made, that's one thing, that's probably the best decision I made in my life because it made me a hands-on dad, which I probably could have easily not been. And then when Alfie was born, you know, I was looking after them as well. So that was great. So working a three-day week was great. But then it became obvious, Jane was working part-time as well, my, my partner. As a lawyer, it's impossible to work part-time and my business was getting bigger. So she came into the business as well and left being a lawyer. I'd employed somebody by that time. He was a fantastic lad uh, who's now a uh, principal ecologist. I think he's more than that. Uh, I think uh, down in the Southwest, Kevin Webb. And we worked together for several years and, and began to build the business. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, you know, ups and downs along the way. 
Sure. Uh, um, but it was, uh, you know, you get to a certain size and all the health and safety kicks in, rightfully so. And then you have to start thinking about premises and making sure you've got all these policies in place. And there's a, you will start growing, then you hit a, a plateau and then you start growing again when you've got all your policies in place and everything right so you can go to that next step. Yeah. Um, but it's a long, for me, I mean, some people build a business much quicker. For me, it's been a, a, a long, slow process, but I'm, I'm perfectly happy with that. Yeah, more of an organic growth um, then, you know, aspect. I, th- I think that's the phrase they use. That's yeah. the phrase, yeah, rather yeah. than scale up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So um, you touched on a point there. So, you know, you obviously you're training people yourself now. So not only being trained, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you're, you're still training, learning, as you say. Uh, so you're beginning then to employ people. You've got responsibilities, not just from your family, but also, I suppose, your extended family, your work colleagues as well. So, I mean, just take this to now. So how many employees does MKA Ecology now employ? I think we've got, I think it was last count was 18. 18. Wow. That's, yeah. that's yeah. great. And what sort of, I mean, talking about growth, but um, so that's gone from the 90s, isn't it? You know, so, um, yeah. To now, so yeah, 18 you're saying, you're saying, yeah, 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 18, 18 people. And, and for a long time, we it, it was it was it, we weren't, we've never been empire builders, but we, we were quite happy at keeping it at a certain size. And and then we we decided we sat down with the businessmen and said, you know, what do we want from our business? What What's the framework that we want around our business? And my other director, uh, Will. Uh, who became a director when I went off to work for BirdLife and Jane, we said, well, we, what we want, I think the most important thing is that we want people to come to work and enjoy their work and enjoy working for MKA. So that's, that's, our, that's our headline that we thought. And then we, the other thing we want, we want to make a difference. We want to make sure our work is quality. And we don't, we don't expand and lose the ability to ensure that we, uh, to lose the, the QA process and, and lose that quality with it, which is so easy to do. And um, so th- they were, that was our, our framework upon which we, we, built, we built the company up more quickly in the last five years than we had previously. And where's, I mean, those last five years then, so where's the growth been mostly seen then? Is it, I mean, you do, you do a lot, I mean, you do quite a, quite a few different sort of projects there, as you say, you know, rewalding projects and large style restoration, but also working with local, so is it, is it a mixed portfolio that actually you think that's the reason why you've grown so quickly? It's, it's having, having all the structures in place and the support network for people to build their career through MKA, you know, just in the last, we've just done a round of uh, uh, appraisals and so forth. We've had three people become senior ecologists. We've had three people become consultant ecologists. People can build their career here. We're big enough now. We used to get headhunted a lot because people knew we would train our staff and people would, you know, we, we, we were picked off a bit by the big boys sometimes. And that was always an issue. Uh, but we've now, we've now got, appropriate so support mechanisms to give people a whole career path here and i think that's really important um and you know that's that's an in certainly enabled us to 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 really have that support mechanism for the the graduate staff coming in so that they have mentors and, and so forth uh, 
Absolutely. I think, I think, you know, I mean, to have a team of 18 people, I mean, it just shows you that, um, you know, obviously you've got, as you say, those mechanisms in place, there's the right procedures, the right policies in there, the, the right ethos, as you say, because I think that comes up a lot. You know, you've, 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 you've used the word ethos, both in terms of when you were at Sheffield uh, and also within your, your own biography you know, that you provided as well. So, I mean, I think it's very much, uh, you know, you, you obviously play sports, you know, you've got this team structure in place, both very interlinked together. So in terms of um, where you, uh, I mean, let, let's talk about also this collaboration because you, you've, you've also got, you know, as long as the ecological side, you also created this, these wildlife tours for companies. So how did that fit in? How did that, obviously it may stem back from your previous experience in, um, over, over in, uh, you know, in, in Asia, but yeah, wh why did you, did you bring that straight into MKA or is it a standalone a section of your company? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it was something we basically decided not to pursue it at one stage because I've done a lot of international work, but it's actually when you're building a company, the whole international side of things like we were once we were about to do a load of work in Egypt and the health and safety issues with that when you're employing people especially Egypt as it is now. So it's very difficult. Um, but I've got a background in, I, I obviously I've loved to travel and through that uh, and some charity work I was doing, Andy Clements, who, is, who until recently was um, uh, uh, the uh, director of uh, British Trust for Ornithology, he, he recommended me to David Mills at Nature Check to become a tour leader. And, and through that, I... I the uh, first tour I do, did was a nightmare tour to Madagascar where they, they I hadn't got the, the process right. So I changed the, the tour and uh, um, and we came up with a cracking tour for Madagascar. And through that, I and working with Nature Trek, I did loads and loads of different tours. And they asked me to go and recce a couple of tours as well. And, you know, I got the chance. I, got, I, I was the first wildlife tour into Rwanda after the genocide, which was which was uh, challenging then? Very, very, challenging. very challenging, very challenging indeed. And very, you know, very heartfelt and, and very difficult, yeah. uh, um, but amazing at the same time. And so I, I suddenly found myself with a range of experience. Plus I spent, I spent a great deal of time traveling on my own. So I had knowledge of these countries from my own travel, which is really helpful. Uh, I tend to step in when somebody uh, I mean, this was all pre-COVID, but I tend to step in when somebody's had to pull out a late notice and I might sometimes take on the tour. Okay. And uh, in 2019, that got me to Ethiopia, which was a wonderful country. Absolutely wow. wonderful. So it's that kind of thing, really. Yeah, yeah. So ecotourism is very much a small part of it. And I wouldn't like to overstate it. Most of our work is is now, well, all of our work really is in the UK, but we, we've moved into rewild and we're working a lot with... Uh, we've got a big project in Corby where we're, we're working with a, a fantastic landowner who's got its vision for his site. And we're working out all the baseline conditions uh, and working through the stewardship process to, to see where we can go with that rewilding project, um, uh, which is you know fantastic to have, what is it, 16 square kilometres of, of land to actually start thinking about what is the potential here. You know, it's a lovely thing where most of our work, of course, we're looking at the development is, come, is coming through. How can we make this development sustainable? How can we? And we are part of that development process. Sort of like almost like a blank canvas and really. 
Yeah, it, 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 it's it's not quite a blank canvas, but it, it it is a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful thing to be involved with. Yeah. Um, uh, if anyone's read, if you've read Isabella Tree and Rewilding, you know they have at the Nepa State they've done an a, an amazing journey. Uh, and what's most interesting about it is that it was it was driven by financial reasons rather than others and, and and that's the big catch with the big you know the big way of catching people into rewilding it could work for you financially well uh, talking about um, you know rewilding and um uh, you know just sort of links into a little bit about your you know you say you've been in the industry since 1987 and uh, instrumental in uh, being a founder member with Siam. Um, it wasn't instrumental. I was just a founder. You were just a founder. Instrumental. Yeah, 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 I wasn't. I mean, I don't want to overstate it. I, I was just, I think I was number 85. So, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a bit like me, I, I say, uh, you know, with the, um, I'm a registered ecological consultant with Natural England. And um, yeah, my, my number's yeah, 001. So I think, yeah, I was the first founder. No, no, we're just lucky enough to actually. Be the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, obviously, you've seen significant changes and imagine since you know and obviously the late 80s then until now so what what I mean, this is i'm afraid it's putting you on a spot a little bit but um what has been crucial in pushing our industry forward you know actually you know we've been taking uh, in terms of um i suppose our role as ecologists in terms of you know our our input into the planning and development should we say um, but equally so, what maybe has been lost in terms of our, um, our um, you know, uh, uh, I suppose our natural estate as well? Well, we are the young industry. And, and when we first started, you know, when I first started, some of the responses we get from some engineers and so forth were quite, it was quite a battle. It was quite a battle. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was difficult sometimes. Now that's gone a long journey now where many of these engineering companies have their own, well, most do have their own ecological group. And I think with that rapid expansion of the opportunity, I think where our challenges lie in the fact that we, I don't feel we have, and this was a problem I had with Syme at, the, at, at one stage. I don't think at one stage we didn't have the training in place to support those people. Yeah. Um, so I I had a bit of a, a bit of a row with Syme at one stage, not a row, but I, I I refused to become a chartered ecologist. I could have just become one. I'm still not one now, because I was really annoyed that they'd gone for that before before, in my opinion, they'd got the requisite range of training in place. Because I felt they were doing that they're getting things in the wrong order. Whether I'm right or wrong about that, what is undoubtedly the truth now is that Syme is offering a fantastic range of projects and constantly striving to build the industry. Yeah. Um, and I'm a great supporter of what they're doing. Um, but I, I, do, I do feel, you know, the industry has gone so far and now we are accepted as part of the planning process, which is great. Still lots of, lots of, uh, lack of consistency between different councils. Today we had somebody uh, accept uh, uh, a planning permission for us where the bat service hadn't been undertaken. Yeah. You know that shouldn't be that. Mm -hmm. um, but we've got a long way to go. 
And we've got a huge way to go to actually start making sure that net gain delivers. And, and that's, that's, that's my feeling. It's not quite answering your question, but it, it's, it, it is, it is, it's been an interesting journey to acceptance and being you know, part of this process. But I feel now there are so many ecologists and a lot of us do not have uh, the skill set required to really deliver that net gain. Yeah, I, I think I mean, I'm actually right. I think, um, you know, over the last few years that I've noticed really is that um, there's an increased requirement for ecological services and, you know, and, and you know, biodiversity. You know, and, and some of that may be reluctantly sought after, um, but certainly um, when we have conversations ourselves with um, um, our clients, they're saying, well, we know we need your services. We're engaging with you earlier. And that can only be a good thing. You know, that actually engagement of our services at an earlier stage should lead, should lead to a better outcome for uh, biodiversity in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Is that your experience? Yeah, absolutely. When you start working in multidiscipline teams and working from the start, you know, I reckon, I mean, this, I remember one project where we got in on that and we were talking, we were going to build a hotel and we were talking about Belfry on the top of a hotel. It's all these opportunities when you work with the architect face to face, you can bring these to fruition and, and you can you can get buy-in or often these people have buy-in themselves. They want to make a difference. And, and that's, you know, that's great. And, but we're not doing enough. That's what I feel. And I feel that I, never more so than in the built environment. I just look around the whole time and see so many new, new buildings that missed opportunity to integrate wildlife into their, into their construction and, into their, and their operations, so to speak. And do you think this will only come through sort of elements such as you know, policy and legislation then? You know, sort of sort of being a lot of companies being forced, in their opinion, to actually participate in restoring biodiversity loss? I think I'm afraid I think that's true. I think it needs to be backed by policy. Some 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 uh councils have very good policies, but I also think that we because we are commercial organizations. Sometimes we don't give enough thoughts to our recommendations and they become generic. Yeah. And that's what I mean when I say to, about to my staff, every site matters because we've got to look at bespoke recommendations for a development. And the problem with that, it takes time. And of course you need to churn out, we've got to make money. You need to churn out, you need, the client wants this report and it's difficult sometimes. But, but we've, there's too, too often things are too generic that we're, we're recommending. And, and, the client, and the client themselves will not understand ecology. So if we're not getting it, getting it right, yeah. or we're not getting it specific, they're not going to get it right. And I think that there's massive gaps here. And I think we as an industry and graduates coming through have got to do it better than we've done it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think mean, no, no, totally true. I, I think you know, there's it's so easy to just to put in, you know, in, into a report. You know, put a few bat boxes, bird boxes, boxes up. There you go, job's done. Biodiversity enhancements. You can walk away from the site. And I think we're just doing, we, 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 you know, we're we're, we're doing our service a, dis, a disservice by just lazy 
ecological enhancements, which may have worked back in, or uh, were the only enhancements back in the 80s or something like this, or very few, or very few uh, and far between. But we've got to get a lot better now, a lot more um, scientific about it uh, already, and state the case for biodiversity in that game, the reasons beyond, reasons why we're doing it and why it's an urgent uh, matter now. Yeah. Uh, we need greater understanding. I think the skill, you know, we've... Consultancy has done some brilliant work in, in taxonomic groups. I think the work with badgers is fantastic. The, the way uh, that's been developed, you know, really good solutions for badger issues, really good solutions for bat issues. You know, some of the work, um, Peter Shepard springs to mind, you know, but, uh, you know, a whole, a whole range of, of bat consultants have done some brilliant work on on, on effective mitigation for bats. But there's other taxonomic groups where we're just failing. And of course, you know, I really feel this strongly in, in ornithology and birds and, and the built environment there. And, uh, you know, I, I suppose what I do, I keep in touch a lot with NGOs and so forth and see how they view us. Mm -hmm. And that's a very interesting thing to, to see how, how you're viewed within the NGO community. And then you realize, not all of it's right, but it leads to a, a narrative that yeah. is very negative towards consultancy. We've got to turn that around. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So turning it around um, then. So, you know, we got, as you say, you said a bit, the, the, the next generation of ecologists. Now, you, as you say, you employ quite a few different ecologists there uh, within MKA. So what do you look for? I mean, obviously, this, this podcast also attracts a lot of career ecologists, those who are just entering their careers. So what sort of golden nuggets i suppose really pieces of advice would you give someone just starting or just about thinking about entering a career into ecology what sort of skills should they be looking to obtain what sort of you know behavioral traits um you know both the actual technical skills and non-technical skills that they should be sort of addressing if i can break that down i mean you, you so, i mean on the, <laughs> on the technical side um, field skills are so important. Now, we wouldn't expect a graduate ecologist to have outstanding field skills. Some do, but most don't. But you need to understand the range of uh, taxonomic groups we're working with and the environment within which we're, we're working with them and what you need to do to deliver that. And where do they get these skills from? Uh, that can be a challenge. Um, it should be encouraged through academia. I, I feel as we, we were speaking about before, Richard, you know, academia is not, is not working with consultancy enough to, to develop those field skills. And there are significant gaps there. But the, the NGO sector, you know, helping badger groups, helping bat groups, working with them, getting some experience there is really important. Uh, going out, try, finding a mentor for working on bird reserves. I mean, all these things are possible. But of course, the big problem that every graduate will say to us at the moment is, is C19 and, and the problems that brought, that's brought with us. Yeah. So um, I'll come back to C19 if I can in a moment, but let, let's just park that for a moment. On the non-technical side, being a consultant, is about the ability to empathize, I think. Empathy is a really important quality. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Um, think about 
what is it? You've got to understand that the person coming to you is not thinking about whether he's got slow worms on his site or whether he's got a pipistro in his chimney. He's thinking about, I need to efficiently develop my property so I can make a profit of profit. Or I need to build a housing estate at a profit-based uh, uh, process. And um, what, what we have to do is work with that process. And we are, we can't fool ourselves. We are part of the planning process. We are we are part of that process to help it, our client get his planning permission. But within that, we have to get buy-in to genuine, and I mean genuine, uh, improvements to offset the biodiversity. Yeah. There's no good building a pond if you don't identify how you're going to get water to that pond to make it viable in, in the medium term. And that's a classic example. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, Marcus. Yeah. Going back to that point about, um, you know, I mean, I mean, every business, doesn't it? Every business exists for, for a reason. That's to solve a problem. Yeah. So we, we, I think absolutely right. That empathy. We need to understand that our clients have got a problem. They may or may not come to us and they may come to us reluctantly. It doesn't matter. They're coming to us to help them solve a problem. So we're transitioning them from a state of, uh, um, Un, you know, um, being uncomfortable to a place of being comfortable. So absolutely right. You know, we need to make sure that we transition them between those two states to ensure that they solve a problem and also, yeah, psychologically, um, you know, emotionally, you know, transfer across to that that, that um, state of discomfort or comfort. Yeah, I mean, sorry. No, I say that, I mean, that, you know, as you're right, empathy features hugely within that process. Yeah, I mean, certainly think about... Uh, you know, I think it's a really important thing to think about, you know, can you, you know, a big developer will, will have certain goals that will not be the same as yours, but you've got to understand his needs and his constraints that he's working with him. And then we've got to work together and you can take it, you know, you, you know, it's challenging sometimes undoubtedly and compromise is part of that process, but you know, the net gain legislation comes in properly. We have a remit to really make a difference in our development. And it's going to be very challenging for the development industry. And we've got to help them through that process without causing resentment and then things backtrack um, 10 years down the line. Okay, so going to our ecologist then. So, you know, you you know, what, what is it that you, in terms of a graduate ecologist, what sort of, um, what sort of things do you look out for on their C? Do you take CVs? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely take CVs. Okay, so what do you um, mean? I, I mean, we will have a scoring system. I mean, the, the, the academic qualifications, of course, we look at. Um, we look at their field skills and how they present their field skills. You know, some people might say, I've, I've undertaken bat surveys. Some people will say, I've undertaken four bat surveys and I've, I've had experience of long-eared bat um, uh, two species of pipistrelle, noctual, and one myotis. And I'm thinking that person knows what we're about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's about consolidating your knowledge when you do these surveys, building your knowledge, showing that you've got a consolidation of knowledge. I personally, I always look at their interests as well. Right. I'm very interested if somebody's got any, you know, somebody plays a violin or somebody. Um, 
you know, has an interesting things that I have no interest in. Somebody has an interest in classical music. I'm just, I, I want to know that you're a rounded person that can talk to a range of people that as a consultant, you're gonna to have to deal with. So I think I wouldn't underestimate that that bit about your interest. I mean, I've had I've had people put on it, watch, I like watching TV, and I'm thinking, you're, you're kidding me. Yeah, kidding. Um, we, we do, we probably all do. Yeah, yeah, we all do, but you know, we've got to move on from that. So it's about what you can do outside of things is really important. Um, and what initiative can you show? I've gone traveling. Great. Were you, you know, were you traveling? Were you going to the, just going to the, the beach parties or were you going to nature reserves and looking at wildlife? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really interested in people who can tell me that they, they went, they didn't go to Koh Samui. They went to Khao Yai and they walked around Khao Yai and they, they did things on their own. A lot of things now are done through, um, uh, private companies that take you out to, I don't know, Sulawesi and put you somewhere and so forth. And that's great. Yeah. But what I'm more interested in is the people who stay on afterwards and do a bit for themselves. Now that's, that's easier for some than others. You know, it's much more difficult. For example, sadly, uh, it's more challenging for uh, a woman to travel on her own in Indonesia than is a, it, it, it is a bloke uh, just due to safety issues. So there, you know, it, it's not as black and white as that, but if you can show initiative, yep. show that you've just, you you know, go back to COVID, everyone's got, they can't do volunteering because of COVID. Everyone's got on the same boat, but you've got to know now that everyone's got that excuse. It's not an excuse, it's a genuine problem and it's really tough, but 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 that's 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 the baseline now. So. What can you show that's different? So I, I couldn't volunteer with the RSBB because uh, because of COVID. Okay, but what I did do, I drove uh, I drove round uh, to the reserves in my county, and 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 recorded what I could in in the woodlands, in in the wetlands, and, and so you know you've got to show some initiative here. You've got to put yourself above the rest. And finding, looking at wildlife locally cannot be underestimated. You can learn huge amounts. And then you've got the field skills and you're showing initiative. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that can be done, you know, regardless of whether or not you, you know, we're in a, a sort of a local or even a national lockdown. You know, I think, I think these, these are sort of things that um, they come from within, don't they? So, you know, you need, you need that passion. You need that. So everyone says they've got passion. That's great. You know, everyone's got passion. Fantastic. But you need to direct it in in in, in the right way. And uh, yeah, I I mean, just going back to that bird scenario there. Yeah, I've just recently discovered an ex. I'll ask for it into the show notes. But an excellent YouTube channel which just has introduced me to bird calls, which I'm pretty rubbish at. But it introduced me to bird calls. Not only the bird calls, but also the sonograms underneath. And as a musician. Uh, I really appreciate looking at the, the, the sort of yeah. the, the sonograph because yeah. it really just relates. You know, I can I can relate. I can relate the uh, so, you know the two part call of a great tip. Looking at the sonogram, you know, really relate to it. I can look at it, the, the complexity of um, uh, a chaffinch's call now. You know, looking at you know at the, 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 both the rhythm rate and the sort of um, the, the, the duration just by looking at the sonogram. It's, it's really yeah. I think you've got to get that out there, haven't you? And, and find find that passion and direct it. 
That's right. And, I, you know, what you touch upon is, is a whole new venture. You know, there's not a lot of migration going on. People are really getting into sonograms. And it's a great way of getting people into births. I mean, last night we had a, we had a team event, uh, you know, post-lockdown. We went out. We had a meal. Uh, we went out in two groups, had a meal, and we had a walk across Wickham Fen. And we recorded 66, 66 species on a three-hour walk. And it was quite tough for some of the new staff because we're telling them this and telling them that. But what I wanted them to get was the spectacle. Yeah. You know, this is wonderful. And this is, there will be somewhere where anyone lives within a cycle ride where they can go out in May and, and experience a range of bird calls and get to understand the not just the songs, but the phenology of birds. Yeah. So show some understanding of British ecology because you're going to need in two years time to be going out assessing these sites. So if you want to become a consultant ecologist, get out there now and start learning. And that goes across the board on, on the plants, on the flowers. There's a couple of great grasses books. Phil Suddy's Council, I've got it, I just happen to have it in front of me. I brought out um, a really good book recently, Grasses. Okay, Grasses. Okay, is anyone still awake? Grasses are actually, the more you look at them, the more interesting they are. And I'm never going to be a botanist. But Hilary Wallace has brought out this book. It really makes it much easier to identify grasses. If you go to an interview and said, I've had a go at several species, I can identify three species of grasses, you are already ahead of uh, the next person. Or even if you say in your CV, uh, you know, I'm really interesting. I bought these field guides and I'm and I'm learning the keys. There's the kind of things that take you a cut above. Great. Yeah. Well, um, in terms of, I, mean, I think we're we're sort of running out of time now. Sorry. So just, too much. Yeah, no, no, no. Absolutely yeah. not. Fascinating. Yeah. I'd love to go on a lot longer, but uh, yeah, we, I think we just you've been so generous with your time. Um, just want to sort of wrap with a few things now. So, in terms of takeaway advice to a, a a new ecologist coming on board what sort of things would you say to them as in you know if they're top priority they've got no skills at all just straight out or just completing their degree what should be their top priority uh, if they were going if they're going to get get a job with mka ecology um so th- we have taken on people in that position uh and uh uh We've done that when they've shown a real determination to uh, to self-develop, to, to develop their skill set. I have to say, it's not often we do it. That person has to be almost exceptionally personable and really, really, um, obviously forward-thinking in order to do that. Okay. But when, we, when we've done it, we've not regretted it. So... Not everyone can have fantastic ac- academics. I certainly don't have them. Um, so, and that's not needed. What I look at more is maybe take some time out. If you can afford it, this is, you know, this is a whole question of access, which we're not going to get into. Then this is why we're a white middle-class organisation. But taking that aside for one moment, if you can, if you can travel or work in some really key reserves, covid permitting or if not that just go out there and and try and get some some experience in these places if you're really lost 
I was really lost. Yeah. I went traveling for two years, but I didn't. I, yeah, certainly I went to the, the party islands occasionally and I, you know, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed the beach now and then. But I would, I know it sounds daft, but what the way I viewed it, I'm traveling, but I'm going to do Monday to Friday, I'm going to do it at nature reserves and learning, learning about wildlife. And weekends, I might nip onto a beach. I didn't do it, but that was almost my thought process. And that's, and, you know, travel, but travel intelligently. Mm-hmm. And enjoy yourself, get away from the, all the troubles of the moment. Yeah. And, and, you know, COVID permitting, you know, try and, try and do that. Get some experience um, through any way you can. And that can be very local or it can be COVID permitting on, on a global level. No, I, I totally. I, I think it's um, you know something that we instill um, is really is you know it's it's. I mean, is a plan. Have some sort of plan. Yes, be open to opportunities to you know you'd have to rigidly stick to your 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 plan. You know, if there's some great opportunity to that rises um, from it, you know, be open to other opportunities. But you know, have some sort of direction. So you're a bit of a you know these these, these terminology a north star or something some, somewhere where you're going because you don't want to be again using this analogy you know like a rudderless ship you know it's just setting off in a di- you may you'll certainly get somewhere but it may not be the place that you fully intended so um totally agree with you about you know um having a plan being determined and being you know being open to sort of um opportunities as they arise um, uh, one other thing yeah. which is just very you know we touched upon this when we had uh the, the talk with the with your team earlier but um you know be aware of what you don't know and it's, you know and be don't be afraid about that because actually recognizing what you don't know shows that you realize you've got a journey and you're at the start of it and an intelligent appraisal of that is, is it will come forward really positively in an interview scenario and something we talked about again earlier was, you know, some really easy, easy hits. There. Learn your legislation that that would, that 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 supports us in ecological consultancy. If you come in and, and I will ask you a question on legislation, and if you say, well, there's some wildlife and countryside act and some badger act, and learn your schedule five species, learn your schedule one birds, learn what the differences between, and 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 that's just a question of re- revision. For your for your interview, really important. Great. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for your time and for joining me on the Ecology Academy podcast. Now, it's it's uh, as I say, it's been great to interview. So in terms of letting people get in touch with you, connect with you, what are the sort of best sort of channels for to do that on? Uh, LinkedIn is great. Uh, I'm I I am constantly being hounded by my marketing team to get more involved in LinkedIn. I am. Uh, but I, I certainly will look to, to graduates who, who get in touch with me in LinkedIn. Um, you can get my my email through the website and write to me if if there's you know if you can if you, you're interested in MKA, write to me and tell me why you're interested in MKA. Okay. And um, do you accept uh, like unsolicited CVs and so forth? For absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we always we always look at them. Um, we don't. We try, we're certainly in the last year with the tough time everyone is happening, we wrote to everyone who, 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 um, who applied for a job with us this year to, make, to try and encourage them. But we, 
the best one in the world. We can't always promise that, but we will try. We will. I promise you, we'll read it. Mm-hmm. And and don't be afraid to pick up the phone. It's not. It's it's something that is difficult, especially for a young graduate. But it can get you places sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I think um, in terms of, uh, you know, we, you need to be out there reaching other people. And um, it's too easy to sit behind a desk and just send an email off, a blank email to everyone, dear sir or madam, which I don't think people use anymore. Or, or we get those and I'm thinking, don't, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't do a generic one. Don't do a generic one. Yeah. Do find a little bit more about the company. But yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I just want to wish you the greatest of success, both for you and for MP Ecology, and uh, look forward to um, hearing more about your company in the future. Yeah, and um, best of luck with you, Will. You're doing with the graduates is fantastic. And, of course, to the new graduates coming through. Great. Thanks, Marcus. Thank you. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player, as that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent, and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. Remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour, so stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.